Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Nick Wong from UB Preserve coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by one of my regular co-hosts. She's the owner of Fluff Bake Bar in Midtown. Rebecca Mastin, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good. Living the dream. All right. We're going to talk about the news of the week in just a second. But before I dive in... I have a bone to pick. You have a bit of a bone to pick. Yeah. Um, So last week with uh, Ryan... You know, I love me some Ryan. I know. You're a big Real fan. And he was very politically correct in his answer. I said that Sean... Gall. Gall. Thank you for the pronunciation. Yeah. I, I know I screwed that up. The newly hired executive pastry chef for Goodnight Hospitality might have the best resume of any pastry chef in Houston, even though he has yet to cook a single dish for any Houston diners. Right. Because he's worked at three different... Restaurants that have earned three Michelin stars. Yes, this is true. Um, you know, okay, first let me say, I know Sean. I love Sean. Sean is a good egg. Um, Sean makes delicious and beautiful desserts. So I'm excited to have someone of that caliber. It's just like when we had Roy come and open Common Bond. Right. I was f- fanatic. Like, I was, like, so excited because it just ups the pastry game in Houston. And it's better for all of us. Absolutely. Right? It gets out... Um, quality ingredients, quality technique, all of these things to diners so that when they do go to places like Fluff Bake Bar where we do use, you know, the right. fancy good, chocolate. Good butter, good eggs, yeah. all that stuff. It, and you can taste the difference. You can taste the difference. Um, I myself have worked at some Michelin star restaurants. Yes. I have a life before the mushroom <laughs> throwdown. See, that is the thing is I know you... The mushroom throwdown. Yeah, I think that's when, and because and I, I didn't get to Catalan very much, so I didn't know you yeah. there. Well, you know, I, my first job was at 17. Yeah, and I never, I never had the chance to eat there. Yeah. So, but, but all right, so, so, um, so fire away. I started my pastry life in Paris. I'm Cordon Bleu graduate. I did my stage, which... Uh, for seven months at the Hotel Bristol and um, in Paris. While they were there, they earned their second Michelin star. Uh, so from there, I moved to New York City. My first job was a pastry cook at DB Bistro when it was brand new, just opened. Yeah. Damn burger. Then <laughs> <laughs> um, I worked at Danielle. Uh, I worked for Jimmy Bradley for a couple years at right. the Red Cat. Right. Danielle is uh, Daniel Ballou's three-star Michelin. Yes. I was a pastry cook. Yeah. Um, and then I was the opening pastry chef for Laurent Rondel at BLT Prime. Ooh, so, huh. yeah. So, you know. So you can sling resumes with anybody is what you're saying. I can. And I don't normally like to toot my own horn just because that's, you know, the only thing I toot my own horn about is I make a really good apple pie. I'm very proud of my I, apple I pie. I have purchased and consumed your apple pie. It is, yeah. it is very, very good. Um, but you know, I was like, yo, hello. I've been in Houston since 07. Um, a lot of people don't like a lot of people don't know me before that dang mushroom throwdown, (laughs) which I'm very appreciative of. And I had a blast and you know, the only pastry chef, the only woman and unemployed at the time and kicked all their butts. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So 
But I, I, not to take away, I am, you know, I'm super stoked that Sean has come to town. Yeah, it's very exciting. Like, I, I am with you in the sense that anyone with that kind of talent and experience coming to town is good for the dining scene as a whole. Yeah. But I did not mean to diminish <laughs> your experiences. And as anyone who follows me on social media knows, I am a regular attendee yes. at the Saturday pop-ups. And I ordered a, a bake sale. He should definitely do a bake sale. Yeah. And I ordered a Veruca salt cake for my birthday. So I can't, you know, we also shouldn't count out Otto Sanchez. Yeah. Otto's legit too. I mean, Robichon, Ducasse, the world's most expensive hotel in Dubai. Like, I don't know the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Otto's got one hell of a resume too. Yeah. Otto, so. Otto can sling and, and the, uh, and the that, breads and stuff he's turning out at so Magnol or solid. It's so good. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you for letting me get on my soapbox. That's fine. All right. News of the week. Topic number one. Houston Restaurant Weeks returns August 1st. As always, it lasts until Labor Day, which this year is Monday, September 2nd. Wow. I rounded up 11 first-time participants, new restaurants that have opened since the last HRW, including Indianola, La Lucha, Superica, Trist, Veranda. Oh, exciting. Yeah. So, Becky, I'm going to put this to you. And and I guess I should say Houston Restaurant Weeks is the month-long dining event organized by TV and radio personality Cleverly Stone, where diners order prefix menus and then a certain amount of money goes to the Houston Food Bank. Yeah. And it raises over, It's for the last couple of years, it's raised over $2 million a year That's for amazing. the food bank, which they use to feed hungry people all over the region. So it's very, very popular. I think it's great for people who might not dine at these restaurants on a regular basis. I don't think you should judge a restaurant by their Houston Restaurant Week menu, but it happens a lot. Yeah, that I think that is one of the ways that people use HRW for a couple of things, right? Some people just want the deal. Yes. Right? They're going to go to a one of the steakhouses like Vic and Anthony's or B&B Butchers or whatever, they're going to get the filet and the Caesar salad or whatever. And that's the only time of the year that they eat at that kind of restaurant, that level of restaurant, because it's a fixed price and it helps them control their costs, right? You exactly. eat, you get, you get a little bit of a discount. You get to do good for charity. And so like they only go during HRW and they never come back. And then there are diners who use HRW to try places that they've read about but maybe haven't experienced, mm -hmm. right? Which is, yeah. which is why that new restaurant article is always so popular every year because people want to know, you know, they make a little checklist and they'll go to four or five places over the month. Right, yeah. No, and I will say when I first moved here, I'm fully, like I went to Voice um, during a restaurant week just because, um, you know, I was as poor as I am now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was a way for me to experience voice. It was Michael Kramer days. Um, and so it was a way for me to experience it without hurting my little pastry chef pocketbook. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think it's like uh, for as on this side of things, on the the kitchen side of things, it's a it's a balancing act. It's kind of like 
well, August is usually typically really slow, but now we've got this restaurant week, so it kind of booms our business. It keeps our servers happy because, you know, they're bringing some income. You know, it's not, but it is also like, it's, I don't, sometimes it's a little It can be a grind, right? Because the increased volume, you know, especially like if you're a server at a lower check average can be like you're working harder, but you're probably making about the same amount of money. Right. But at the same time, you're making more money than you would have made in August had they didn't have the the restaurant week. Yes, that is exactly correct. Yeah. And it is a... Everybody sees it that way. It is a testament to the popularity of this event that like some of the city's best restaurants are in, right? Like Brennan's does it every year. All of Hugo Ortega and Tracy Vaught's restaurants do it every year. You know, yeah, I think, like, well, it's it's also saying to, that those restaurants are, believe in what the money that they're raising for. I absolutely. mean, the food, the food bank is hugely important. I know that um, the No Kid Hungry organization works a lot with them locally on a local level, which is super important because you are figuring out summer meals for kids that don't typically have access to that food. So it is it, it's an, it is for a very important cause. Um, so did you, have you perused the HRW list? Do you have like maybe one that you're going to hit? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I haven't looked at it. <laughs> um, I typically frequent the restaurants I frequent no matter if they are there or not. Well, Riel is doing it. Oh, well, God, there you go. You can go to Riel. Are the Butterburgers on there? <laughs> the Butterburgers are not on there. No, I mean. But the but the hanger steak with the pierogies, like oh, that's full credit, dish. full that's credit to Ryan. Good. It's like, it's the dishes that I would order if I were going there anyway. Anyways. Like the tempura cauliflower, like the hanger steak with the pierogi. Yeah. You know, and then that ridiculous uh, Dr Pepper cake that he does. That thing's pretty good. I was pretty impressed with yeah. them. I have to say. Yeah, it's not bad. Because <laughs> I know his desserts are not his thing. <laughs> and he actually didn't call me on that one. <laughs> yeah, but did, I think he had someone who worked for you that helped him uh, yeah, pack that thing uh-huh. together. Um, Elise used to do uh, the desserts there. I think she's at Nobis now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I mean, you can see both sides of the argument of like why it's good and bad. I know it used to actually only be a week and, and now it's like a full month. Yeah. Five um, weeks. It's like, it's, it's a long weeks. time. It's a long time. I don't even think new, I know New York city has two. They have two weeks, one in the fall, early late summer and one in the early spring, which is also kind of a great idea because it spreads it out. But I think it does give the diner, an extended amount of time to hit more than one or two places. Cause could you imagine going to like seven restaurants in a week? Oh my God. You'd be living my life. <laughs> I did that once in New York, like five restaurants in five days. Cause my parents visit and I literally woke up on the last day and go, Oh my God, I have to eat again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Topic number two, Chris Shepard has revealed that the fourth iteration of one fifth will be, one-fifth Gulf Coast. This replaces one-fifth Mediterranean, which will close at the end of July. And then Gulf Coast will open August 12th. He's only closing for a for couple of weeks, weeks this year yeah. instead of instead of a full month to make the changeover. I, I'm torn. On the one hand, like I really appreciated that Chris kind of challenged himself with one-fifth romance languages where he did French, Spanish, and Italian food. And I have enjoyed my two or three visits to One Fifth Mediterranean where he's doing 
you know, all kinds of stuff, but like a lot of like the modern Israeli food that you see at restaurants like Zahav in Philadelphia or Shia and Saba in New Orleans. I mean, there's like, I, I just think we don't really have anything like that here mm-hmm. except like, you know, the appetizer and small plate section of uh, Dory Metropolitan. So I like, I just, I think it's, it was ambitious and I, so Gulf Coast, it's like, that's Chris's wheelhouse, right? I think you have to look at the year Chris is about to have. Yeah. Right? I think you have to look, like his book's coming out. Yes, his cookbook comes out September 3rd. I think that's going to take a lot of time and take him out of the city a lot. Um, maybe you look at what has been like hits for him at his various spots and that sort of cuisine has been right i mean i am i am ready for like you know chris shepherd's roasted roasted oysters his jambalaya boudin like like whatever however they define gulf coast like you know yeah fish fillets and shrimp boils like i'm 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 excited about all of it. I want to eat all that food. One of the things I liked about One Fifth was the the the, the, the adventurous, the stretching, yeah. right? The pushing the staff to try. Like they got this. They're gonna nail this. There so, must be something else in the pipe works at Underbelly Hospitality. Well, I think they're gonna. They're. I think they're gonna try to turn One Fifth Mediterranean into its. They're gonna try to find a home, a permanent home for that somewhere. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I'm because I don't want to well, give up. Because I know that, that Matt, Chef Matt, and and. Nick Fine were both really excited about cooking that food too. Yeah, and I think Chris has felt really engaged with it just from my conversations with him that he seems he he was really excited about it and really engaged with it. Right. I think yeah, I think you have to look at what's on his plate for the upcoming year. Oh, yeah. Isn't there a wedding in the future too? There is a wedding in the yes well, to mean, his longtime on. girlfriend Lindsay Brown. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's been scheduled. <laughs> but you know, but, it'll, right. pro- it'll probably literally just pop up on social media one day in Vegas. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I would, it, it would not surprise me. Like, oh, we're hitched, by the way. <laughs> right? Let's have a party. No, if I had, if I had to guess, and I, at the risk of being totally wrong, like he, he came up at Brennan's. Uh-huh. That's oh, a beautiful. That, that's a that's beautiful, beautiful place to have space. a wedding. Yeah, that is. It you is. Know. Yeah, and that's that's his home. His family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think. Um, I I can't think. I don't think you can discount the menu yet, just because just generalizing on what kind of food it is. I mean, he might have some tricks up his sleeves. The- oh, he's definitely going to have some tricks up. Yeah. His so and, and I don't I I don't mean to say that I'm not excited about it because I think, like I said, I think they're going to crush it. It's you're just not as like curious. Yeah, it's just like I kind of no expect. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I do, but I you know. I think we have, you know, I mean, I loved Bernadine's, which was kind of working in yeah. that style. I'm a fan of State of Grace, which is kind of grounded in the Gulf Coast. And of course, Eunice, which is, I know, one of your favorites, one I of my Eunice. favorites. So and I can't even eat roasted oysters. <laughs> so, you know, if that's Chris and Nick and Matt Staff putting their spin on those kind of restaurants... Maybe they saw the popularity in those. Maybe they did. You know, maybe they're uh, on to something new. And they have and they have something to say about that that's maybe a little different than what those places are doing. Then I'm definitely in for that because I just think that's I think it's you know, I think it's kind of our birthright. I mean, as Houstonians, I think like, 
you know, that and Tex-Mex are like the food we like to eat. This is true. This is true. So. He should do some Tex-Mex. <laughs> <laughs> that could be five-fifths. That could be five-fifths. Don't, don't rule it out. I won't. I, God, I love me some good. Te- I still, you know, butter on fajitas at El Tiempo. Hello. <laughs> yeah, you and, you and Mary Clarkson with the stupid filet fajitas at El Tiempo. Yeah, they're so good. <laughs> All right. Topic number three. Pizza Modus closed in I saw that. West You're a big U. fan. I was a, I was a medium fan. Medium fan. Okay. And Will Grury, the owner of Pizza Modus, had been a guest on the show. I think, I think he's the first person to come on the show and then have his restaurant close. Oh, no. So, you know, well, it was inevitable. <laughs> at least no. you're not cursed. No, the track record of the show <laughs> is pretty solid. Because uh, I'm leaving right now. <laughs> <laughs> It's too late. You've been on the show too many times. Like, if there's a curse, you're cursed. Um, But, you know, I, you know, I, you know, Ken Hoffman is is the Culture Map columnist. He lives in West U. He's a big pizza eater. He was never really into it. I think, I don't know that Pizza Modus ever really connected with the neighborhood in the way that Will wanted it to. Yeah. Uh, But I was thinking, like, there have been some sort of pizza shutters recently. Oh, that one in the food hall. Yeah, Mr. Nice Pie closed, like, didn't last at Finn Hall, although it looks like they're going to have a new pizza vendor there soon. Connie Rosso didn't last in Montrose. Medici, this, like, nationwide or West Coast-based chain of uh, Neapolitan pizza restaurants uh, opened right next to Kieran's in the kind of upper Kirby area. didn't last very long. They've got a... But they have a store in Katy that's doing great. Mm -hmm. So... What's the deal with pizza? Like what it, I mean, why don't people want more and different and better kinds of pizza? Like what, what do you think? What, what's going on? I think people are creatures of habit. Yeah. Like we order like, so we, you know, family mail at fluff is whatever we can get on like DoorDash because <laughs> nobody can go anywhere. Um, we order Vinny's and Pizarro's a lot. You're right next to Roos's. You don't know where Roos's? No. Okay. <laughs> that should answer your question. Right? That does answer my That's question. That's simple. No, I just, I just, it, I just want to point that out for the audience. I know, but it, what's really funny is a couple times we've ordered pinks and we order straight through pinks, and yeah. they've said you're right next to Russo, and I go, I know, I know where I am. Thank I, you. Uh-huh. I know where we are. Yeah, yeah. No, I love Pizarro. Like I love Pizarro's Nicole. That did, it, one of my staff introduced me to the D- Detroit, Detroit Detroit style pizza. Oh, it's so good. It's so good with the burnt cheddar cheese around the edge. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, it's really tasty. And then um, I really like the cheeses from Vinny's. Yeah. I have a vegetarian that works for me. <sighs> yeah. Um, anyways, um, I don't know. I feel like they're creatures of habit. I mean, look at how many locations Pink's has. Yeah, how many Pink's, right? Like, or that's Moda, like did, Star is still super popular. Oh, no, yeah. Pizza Modus didn't deliver, which they're, I think is yeah. one of the things that really hurt them. I think, and especially being in that neighborhood with the university so close by, uh-huh. you could have killed it. Yeah, but and trying it's... to navigate the dorm rooms at Rice is difficult. I know this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you deliver a cake to my son for his birthday? Hmm. No. <laughs> yeah. Tell your son to get his butt on the light rail and come pick it up. Exactly. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a big one is you don't deliver. Yeah, I think it's hard. And then they they made a deliberate choice to be BYOB with no corkage, which I think they thought would lure people. I didn't. You didn't. know, what we don't have is a good New York slice. 
Yeah, I go to Romano's for that. That's not bad. That's not bad. But you know, have you ever been to Hoboken Pie in Austin? I have not. That's a pretty good New York slice. All right. I've been known to bring some home. Yeah, I had. I actually had a slice at Romano's this weekend just because I had like a craving and I was kind I of in the neighborhood. It's, it's not far from me. No, it's not. And it's awesome. the other thing I go there for is meat-filled ravioli because I don't know where else to get that. Huh. And it's like, you know, I, I grew up eating a certain amount of Chef Boyardee as a kid. Right. This is <laughs> this. It's way better than that. Like I'm just, but like. <laughs> You know, like sometimes you want that craving, like, like that's comfort food. I don't, I don't, I don't crave meatloaf, but I, I do like a meat ravioli every now and then. Yeah. I think if you, if you're pizza, you have to deliver. Yeah. I know I, I talked to Ryan Pear about this. I'm like, God, are you going to deliver? Cause it's really hard for me to get over to Vinny's to get pizza. And he's like, yeah, we're going to have to. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta deliver. Yeah. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Becky, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about two new arrivals in Rice Village. We had the opportunity to dine at both of them together. Let us start with Sweet Green. This is the... Well, it started in Washington, D.C. about 10 years ago. It's a salad restaurant, uh, and there's about 100 of them nationwide. The first Texas location opens in Rice Village this week, and this is, uh, they call it a unicorn because mm-hmm. it has received so much private investment money that the company is worth over a billion dollars. Which is I need some sweet green unreal. Yeah, that's insane. And you know, I am a fan of the Bill Simmons podcast. And when he has, he's buddies with David Chang, and sometimes Dave Chang will come on and they'll talk restaurants. They've talked about sweet green before. Apparently, this is like a go-to lunch option for a certain type of consumer in L.A. Mm-hmm. and New York and in D.C. and Boston. People want to pay ten to fifteen bucks for a satisfying healthy lunch and sweet green salads kind of fit that bill. So with all of that, knowing that this restaurant comes in with this like cult following and these sky high expectations, what'd you think? We had, we had two salads. We had a a kale Caesar and then something they call the summer, summer barbecue salad that had chicken and watermelon and corn and all kinds of stuff. It did. Um, I'm going to say I walked in a little skeptical, you know, I'm not like, I don't know. I like the whole food salad bar. <laughs> you like DIY salad. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause you know, I, I might not be feeling something to that day. Right. Um, no, it was really tasty. It, I, right. Like, I mean, I like vegetables. I will, I like a side salad to start. I do not generally eat salad as, as entree. Yeah. But I will. I would. I, I think I will too. Yeah. That summer barbecue was great. Summer barbecue was great. The the like the sweetness and the crunch from the watermelon. Yeah. Like kind of tied the whole salad together. You know, the chicken was like, you know, it's it all black and chicken thighs, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were flavorful. I didn't love that green goddess dressing personally. Like yeah, I think I would have liked a vinaigrette. Yeah. But I mean, but we were limited to the pre, like the the prescribed recipes for the 
media preview that they right. did, but they will let you build your own. And so in the future, if I went and had that salad, I would just be like, Hey, give me a, give me, a, give me, give me the summer, but give me a different dressing. dressing. And, um, you know, I said, uh, <laughs> you're like, let's try this, let's try that. I go, oh, let's, let's go basic. <laughs> yeah, let's go with the kale Caesar, the kale which Caesar. is one of the things they're known for. And I was legit impressed. Yeah, you, you. Like, like real right anchovy flavor yeah. in the Caesar dressing, which if you were, you know, if they were trying to dumb it down, they like they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. Yeah. No, it was tasty. The little Parmesan crisp were good. Yeah. Um. I personally could do without the tomatoes in the Caesar salad. Just yeah, because. they don't really have a place in a Caesar. Yeah, they don't have a place in a Caesar. But um, no, the chicken was tasty. Um, the dressing had that nice little funk aftertaste to it from the anchovy. Um, it was it was tasty. Yeah. I definitely would order that summer barbecue again for sure. Yeah. And well, there was that mushroom one that intrigued me, except for I don't want tofu. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was intrigued by the, the hummus one. Oh, yeah, I did. If you we know, had, if we had had the ability to order three instead of just two, I probably would have. But I have a love hate relationship with falafel, so fair, know. yeah. But no, I mean I I and you know there's another one coming to Lower Westheimer and Montrose in September. Even closer. Yeah. I don't like going to Rice Village. This feels like well, yeah. The, I mean, the parking's not really uh, that bad. The parking wasn't bad. No, we we discussed that too with the meters. It's kind of helped that whole parking situation being able to. Yeah, find people one. complain about the meters, but they don't understand they that regulate. the problem was employees of the various businesses were taking all the spots, and so that's why there was never a spot. Yeah. Now the meters they can't do that anymore, and they're pretty strict about enforcing it. So at least now you can get a close by spot to where you want to go. Or if you don't want to pay, you can park, like on Sweet Green, you can park on the roof of that building. Sweet no Green is next to like Shake Shack and Suzy Cakes and the Starbucks on Amherst. So you can park on the roof of that building for free, or you can park in the big garage in the middle for free for two hours. And then you don't have to pay. You just have to walk in the heat, which, yeah. you know, Can't your mileage right. may vary on that. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I like the meters because they, they keep the parking turning over. That's true. Yeah, no, I didn't. I got a spot right out front. I was happy. Yeah, it cost me three bucks. All right, so you'll go back. So you'll go back to Sweet Green. Most F. Okay. Yeah. And then the other restaurant I want to talk about is Mendocino Farms. This is the new sandwich shop from California that's backed by its own VC money. Not yet worth a billion dollars, as far as I'm aware, but but definitely growing. They have twenty five or seven restaurants in. California, I think Houston is 28. It's their first Texas location, but they have they have plans to open other. They have they've announced four locations in Houston. They built a commissary in Dallas, so you can count on Dallas getting some, and then I'm sure they'll wind up in Austin eventually. So this is they have big plans for Texas. We talked about this the last time you were on the show, and you were skeptical. Yes. Of Mendocino Farms, you said that's not a sandwich. It's not a sandwich. So now that you've tried the sandwiches, it's not still not a sandwich. All right, what what didn't you like about your sandwich? We cause you had you had the, the fried, fried chicken, chicken sandwich, sandwich, and I had the steak sandwich, and we trade seeds a little bit. Yeah, um, I am impressed that they reached out. They use Slodo. I, I like to see big companies, and the same with Sweet Green. They use Breadman. 
I like to see these big companies like Shake Shack. I mean, we're a huge part of Shake Shack, all four of them. Yeah, you have desserts on all four on all four, four of the menus. menus. Yeah. yeah. So I, as a business, a small business owner, appreciate that more than you'll know. Um, it's a great exposure. Um, the ordering process was a little bizarre. You go in, somebody touches the screen for you, and then you go somewhere else and you pay for it. That was kind of bizarre, but whatever. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I love fried chicken. So I ordered a fried chicken sandwich. There was a slaw and a huge slice of cheese. Um, their idea of fried chicken is two chicken tenders. Yeah, I... And they're not house-made chicken tenders. Well, they might be breaded. I don't know. I mean, I, I assume that they probably are, but it just... The bun was kind of poofy. The bun was It kind of threw the, the, the meat-to-bread ratio of the sandwich off. Yeah. I thought... My sandwich on the ciabatta, my steak sandwich on the ciabatta bread. Is it ciabatta or pretzel? Ooh, it, it may have like been. Pretzel. It may have been pretzel. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was better because like the no, the, it was the bread better. wasn't as poofy and the flavors really landed because I I added avocado for an extra buck, but then you get the the grilled steak and the sweet peppers. No, it and was, the cheese. Yours was tasty. Yeah, that steak sandwich is legit. Yeah. And and I was cheating a little bit because I had already spoken to the founders of Mendocino and they had said that that was one of the, the most popular and one of their personal favorites. Okay. So I, you know, I had an idea. It was a toss up. I was going to order Chris's charity sandwich and then I was going to do it. But then I was like, Oh, fried chicken. Right. Right. And I was sadly disappointed. All right. So I, so I will say I like for me, I really like those dill pickle potato chips though. Dill pickle potato chips were solid. (laughs) Uh, you know, when I think of a sandwich, I think of a Jewish deli sandwich, which is basically yes. rye bread, a lot of meat, lettuce and tomato, and then maybe a squirt of mustard. Yes. Like I, and I'm just not a, I'm not a Russian dressing guy, but that's the other, that is the other acceptable sauce option. Like they yeah. are, they are very sort of pure things. So just emotionally, it's hard for me to sort of shift like the kind of sandwiches I crave to match what Mendocino Farms is doing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I understand why they're so popular in California because the flavors are kind of innovative and they've, they've got a lot of different choices. It's very family friendly. They had like a separate seating area that was like kids height chairs. Like all of oh, that yeah. stuff makes sense to me. Well, look at, look at, I mean, if I'm going to have a sandwich like that, I'm going to local foods. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, they're, they're like right down the street for local food. So yeah. I think a lot of people are going to make that, comparison where they're going to go to both and they're probably going to pick a favorite right and that nut crunch chicken thing is one of my favorites it's a good one yeah no i i get i get the fancy schmancy california quote quote sandwich i understand i get it i get it to me it's not a sandwich right you're not going back probably not i'll go to local foods all right yeah uh becky before you get out of here what's going on at fluff bake bar uh, let's see. Well, we have to reschedule Miss Leanne Smith from, uh, yes. Meat foiled, foiled by uh, Hurricane Barry. <laughs> what are they calling for? Bad News Barry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she was calling it. Um, other than that, I think, oh, you know, at the end of August, we have Lance Zerline versus John Granado. <laughs> Bake sale. Saturday morning bake sale. Yeah. August 31st. All right. That's a, that's a big one for. ESPN 97.5 listeners, you're going to get a good turnout. Yeah. Make extras of 
all of the things. And um, this weekend, we're going to bring back the um, Truth Barbecue brisket breakfast taco again because it was because you hit. sold them out about half an hour. Half an hour, yeah. So I'm going to do it again. Back by popular demand. You're a woman of the people. I try. Becky Maston, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, and I will be right back with Nick Wong. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by Nick Wong. He's the chef de cuisine at UB Preserve. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for being here. I, I always like to kind of start at the beginning with these. So how did you become interested in cooking professionally? Um, to be real honest with you, I'm just a fat boy that likes to eat. Uh, I figured See, out. But what... I'm a fat boy that likes to eat, and I just go to restaurants all the time. That is not translated into cooking. Um, when I was in middle school or so, I, I kind of figured out um, that if I cook dinner for my family, that means I just get to eat faster. I don't have to wait for my parents to get home to cook dinner. Like, well, then I'm just going to start doing this, and that's kind of how it started: just cooking dinner at home for my family, and uh, just experimenting like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then I I skimmed your bio on the. UB Preserve website, you went to Cal Berkeley. Yes, I did. And studied nutrition. Yeah. So how did you get from uh, arguably one of the finest public universities in America to, well, working working in a professional kitchen? Um, when I actually graduated high school, I thought about maybe going to culinary school instead. Um, the conversation kind of with my parents about going to culinary school instead of college went one obvious direction. Yeah. I feel like uh, <laughs> Asian families and Jewish families, the, the, that conversation would go about the same. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going to, to Cal and started off in actually computer science, but then I figured out I'm horrible at math and I don't want to do this anymore. So I kind of kept on bouncing around majors. I kept on ending up back at food and I just kind of looked at all the majors, like what is the closest I can get to food? without literally being cooking and nutritional science was it. And um, I guess maybe toward the end of my time at Cal, I kind of realized like I don't want to do anything but cook because I keep on coming back to the kitchen and this is what I really want to do. So I was like, I'll finish, I'll get my degree. I have to do that. Um, but kind of broached the subject after graduation with my, my family again, like, okay, well, you still want to do it, but Let's have you work for a year first before you go to culinary school to make sure, you know, it's not this glamorized, romanticized thing that you think it is. And after that year, I was like, I still want to do this. So went full on to culinary school after that. So where did you go to culinary school? I went to the French Culinary Institute in New York. It's now called the International Culinary Center. Okay. And then from there, so then, so then you started working for David Chang in New York City. Yes. How did you wind up working for David Chang? Uh, sheer luck. Um, so when I was at the FCI, I did an internship with Dave Arnold, who at that moment was the culinary director of culinary technology for the school. So he just got to play with all the equipment and stuff like that. And it was something I just did after classes were over. We hung out, did a lot of stuff with like sous vide techniques and rotary evaporators liquid nitrogen all that kind of stuff right and for people who don't know dave arnold's name he is kind of a culinary mad scientist i think anyone who's seen like the sears all 
you see that in kitchens all over the place or he was the he was the mind behind Booker and Dax, the super creative cocktail bar in New York City. Yeah. And now his new bar is called Existing Conditions and they're doing really great. Um, it was literally two weeks before graduation. I was with Dave at school. He gets a call on his phone and he's just talking to this person. He literally just looks over at me, puts his hand over the receiver and says, hey, uh, do you want to go uh, trail at Momofuku Co for a position, for an entry-level position? And I said, yes, yes, I would like to do that. Yes, I would like to work at one of the, <laughs> the most innovative, creative, highly acclaimed restaurants in New York City, yes. Yeah. This was in 2008, so they'd only been open, I want to say, just about six months or maybe just under that. Oh, yeah, that right, when the hype was starting to Yeah, be. when you had to break in on the internet to get those lottery reservations and people were going nuts over these resos. So how long did you how long did you work for David Chang? Um, altogether, I was with the company for about six and a half years, I want to say. You worked at Co and you worked at Sambar. Yes, just the two. What did you what did you kind of take from that experience? I mean, being a young cook, it's your first your first real like restaurant. Um the major points of that were basically self reliance. A lot of it is like, you know, very cliche say like you know working in new york kitchens makes you strong and whatever but it really is you have to learn how to rely on yourself um and really just the importance of taking care of your own staff one of the big things was family meal which i had this is a thing where you cook you know you, you feed the yeah. you feed the staff before they feed the guests yeah and at fam- family meal at momofuku was a very serious serious operation so if you didn't do enough food or it was bad, you would definitely hear about it. And it was one of those, became a point of pride. It, it was like a very stressful thing to do when you're new and first starting out. And then when you kind of start to get more comfortable and more confident, you start to compete with the other cooks. Like, oh, I'm going to make the best family meal this week. No, no, I'm going to make the best family meal this week. So that was a, a big thing. And also just to question everything. Like, why why do we do things in a certain way? Is it because that's what we've been taught? Is there a better way to do this and not to be held by like convention or anything like that? All right. So, and then you went, you went back to the West coast. You worked for Chris Cosentino at Encanto. Yeah. What was that like? That was, um, really interesting. It was the first time I'd worked in San Francisco after having some more professional experience. Um, right before that I worked at Gramercy Tavern for a year. Oh yeah, in between, of, yeah. Yeah, one of the best restaurants in New York City. Yeah. Um but it was definitely a, a big change from the New York kind of pace and it was a lot more of a little bit more shooting from the hip. I think a lot of the place I'd worked in New York, you know, you work on a dish, you work on it over a period of weeks and then maybe it'll go on the menu after months of testing or weeks of testing even like, you know, just tasting the same thing five times in different iterations in the, within an hour or something like that. And then with Chris, it was very much like, just got back from the market. It's 3 o'clock. Here's these three new dishes for 5 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. So well, it was a lot of learning how to think on your feet and kind of trusting your own instinct uh, as a cook. If you know what you're doing, you know how to put the flavors together and how to cook things. So, you know getting from point A to point B, as long as you get to point B, you didn't really care which way you go. You can zigzag it, you can go straight line, but as long as it tastes good. I mean, he's uh, he's opening an Italian restaurant here yeah. later this fall, like on a scale of like one to 10, like how excited should Houston be that 
Chris Cosentino's coming to town. Uh, does it go to 11? No. It, it can go to 11. Go to, this is your go, interview, go, Nick. Go to 11. You can do what you want. I'm going to turn it to 11. No, everybody should be super excited. Um, he's going to bring a lot of energy, I think, to specifically the Italian genre food in Houston. Um, you know, and it's going to be real rustic. I feel probably like soul food. Like, I think it's like his, the tagline is like his grandma's cooking yeah. or something like that. But. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be on the show in a couple of weeks, so I'm gonna get the chance to sort of quiz him. But. Yeah. So then, how did you wind up in Houston? Um, I had originally met Chris in New York when he came to do a guest chef dinner at Sambar, and um, after he did that, I didn't really think anything of it. We had had other guest chefs in, it was like, oh, that was a very nice experience, and. Now it's the next thing. And then when I left New York, I ended up doing a cross-country road trip and kind of zigzagged. I'd never been anywhere in the middle or in the south, just on East Coast, West Coast. So Houston was a definite stop for me. And before I got here, I texted Chris, said, hey, I'm going to be in town for a few days. Um, any suggestions, recommendations? And Chris being Chris, rolled out the red carpet. I got to see all the stuff. Left Houston, went on my way. It's like, oh, that was another very nice experience. Didn't really think anything of it. And I got back home to California, shot me a text, just want to see, did you get home all right? How's the rest of your trip? I was like, oh, that's very nice of him. So nice of him to check, it, check in on me. And then about a week later, I got a phone call from him saying, hey, we have this new restaurant opening up and your name keeps popping up. Is this something you might even be anywhere interested in? And I told him, I'm living at home and unemployed, so no options are really off the table right now. So I'm I'm really open to anything, and that's kind of where it went from there. All right, so you didn't probably know very much about Houston when you visited here, or when you even when you moved here. So what have you what have you kind of learned about Houston? What's what's impressed you in the say year and a half or so that you've lived here? Um, what's really impressed me is just the level of diversity i know it's always touted as houston is so diverse and everything like that and it but it does really make me feel comfortable being here it reminds me of home a little bit and of all the places i've worked and lived um but how deep it goes is not something how like i expected like going down to bel-air or going now that i know hillcroft like i'm starting to learn the streets and stuff like that like these communities go real deep and you know there's a, the whole networks and structures there to support those individual communities that they don't need any outsiders to come and patronize their businesses or to support them like they can take care of themselves which i feel is like really awesome right they're not they're not cooking for you know a european audience right yeah. they're they're cooking for their community and if you are interested in those flavors then you know you're welcome yes you know but but if but they're not going to dumb it down for you. Yeah, exactly. That's what I really, really love about that. So, all right. So you've been, so UB Preserve opened, what, like March, April of last year? Uh, May of last year. Okay. It's been, it's been quite a whirlwind. Uh, Texas Monthly named you, like, well, Pat Sharp named all three of Chris's restaurants, UB Preserve, George James, and One Fifth Mediterranean is sort of tied for the best new restaurant in Texas. Uh, you were on my list as the best new restaurant to open in Houston last year. You were, uh, I think, I think Georgia James had you out on Allison Cook's list, but you were, you know, you were there. Um, I mean, what's it been like? I mean, it's, it's such a, it's like such a whirlwind. Um, it's been a 
really great positive experience for me. Um, just kind of reflecting back on this restaurant and opening it. Um, the thing that's kind of struck me is how much trust and faith that Chris has in me. It's not something I really expected. Like when we first opened, we did the menu together, me and Chris and Nick Fine, our culinary director. It was a very collaborative thing. And I was just kind of used to working, you know, you're going to tell me that I can run this restaurant, but I really do have to get everything approved and I have to go through proper channels. And as time kind of went on, I kind of realized like, no, Chris actually does trust me with the menu so I can actually do whatever I want. And I don't need to wait for permission or anything, which has been very liberating and great for creativity. Yeah. So like, what's an example maybe of a dish that you might not have done in the beginning because you weren't sure whether it would be okay but now knowing a little bit more about how diners respond to the restaurant and, and earning Chris's trust that you, you felt comfortable rolling out. Um, oddly enough, I'd, I'd say probably our compachi dish, which actually would be a lot easier to, if I had to go through proper channels and stuff like that. Cause it is an homage to the old Chaka uh, from underbelly, the Chaka snapper, but it's just our updated version of it. And I, we were trying to work on some other prototypes for the dish, and then I, I kind of felt like maybe this is the direction we need to go, and I just kind of went forward with it, not worrying that Chris might think it's like, I can't really think of a better way to put it, like ripping off his menu and just being lazy or something like that. It's like it is updated for our restaurant. It makes sense for us the way that we're presenting it and the context in which we're presenting it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things you do that I... I'm sort of deeply amused by as you, you kind of play around with like kind of more classic, like Chinese or Chinese American flavors. Yeah. Um, talk about the pecan shrimp because I, I did the tour. I, I came to UB preserve in, in June and had dinner and I, I mean, that was a highlight for sure. Yeah. Um, actually all those kind of Chinese things are and Chinese American things. Um, I really come out of just having a walk in the kitchen. I've never had a walk in any of the kitchens I've ever worked in and I've never worked on one. So it's kind of, there are no rules. So if I'm doing it wrong, I have no idea. I'm not classically trained. So so long as it, again, as long as it tastes good, that's all I really care about. But the honey pecan shrimp in particular, um, it's so simple. It's just some deep fried shrimp and some candy nuts and some iceberg lettuce, nothing fancy, but it's something that I've always loved eating as a kid but I've never been able to find it done the way they, that I want as an adult without having to go to like a Chinese wedding banquet or something like that. So I was like, well, if, if I'm missing eating it, then I might, I might as well just cook it. And some of that thought process was, is this going to be too simple? Is this going to be too easy of a, you know, crib from another Chinese restaurant or another Chinese dish? And then I kind of just let go of it. Like, no, we're just going to make our version, just make it, with some minor tweaks, we'll use a little bit bigger, nicer shrimp. We'll switch it to pecans because it's Texas and got to represent. But keeping it very similar to the original dish is something that I'm not really used to. Normally, I'm used to just kind of tweaking things enough that you can't compare it. But this is almost like a direct copy. But I just really like it. So I'm just like, I don't care. I just really like eating this. No, no, you, you shouldn't care because it's delicious. I mean, that's one of the nice things about kind of the the underbelly history or the UB framework is that you can kind of play around with 
whatever cuisine you want, right? Because it's it's the inspired by the immigrant cuisines of Houston. Yeah. So are there cuisines that you're using at UB Preserve that maybe you didn't know as much about that you've learned about since you've come to Houston? Definitely. Um, we've got a larger Indian uh, influence on our menu currently, um, but one of the bigger ones, we have a dish on this un- inspired by uh, Nigeria, Nigerian cuisine. Um, I have zero experience with it at all, and uh, me and Chris went to taste of nigeria just mm-hmm. to kind of do a little bit of research and had some food and kind of like let it simmer on the back burner of like what i wanted to do and then when an opportunity came up of like these flavors would work in this specific dish i kind of started going all in and went to this place called wazobia market on beach nut and i can't remember it's five minutes away from crawfish and noodles that's okay about that's good <laughs> um Went to this Nigerian market and there's a bunch of spices and things I didn't know what they were. Just load up my cart, brought it to the cashier, and she just looks at me and she's like, "Do you know what any of this stuff is?" And I just said, "No idea, but I'm gonna play around with it and I'm gonna try and make something taste good." And then she just started kind of like helping me go through like, "You use this to thicken soups, but don't use too much because you can have some stomach problems or you know you can use this spice but put add extra peppers to it to make it more traditional or use this for soup or those sorts of things so it's been nice to have that interaction with someone right again it's like show some interest right don't don't tell them that it's you know too spicy too bitter too whatever but just like show a sincere interest and people will respond to that i mean that's kind of that's kind of driven so much of the food that chris has created at, at all of his restaurants yeah yeah, and we've actually had very good response on the dish, and people from from both sides, people that have had no experience with Nigerian food, are like, oh, what is this spice that's on here? And we, I've literally packed some up to go for them so they can sprinkle it on their own food. And um, we had a, a few guests in actually this past Friday or Saturday. They were of Nigerian descent, and they're like, they're so happy to see themselves represented on the menu, and I was like so happy to be able to do that for them. You know, I and I wanted to get their their feedback. It's like. This should probably be a lot spicier, but we understand that you can't make it this spicy for general public, I guess. But they're pretty happy with it, so that's a nice compliment. Yeah. Uh, how else would you say the the restaurant has evolved? I mean, I know, um, I know, I just got an email about you know a new vegetarian menu that you're kind of rolling out. Yeah. Um, so the menus kind of evolved since when we first opened. We didn't used to have that tour of Houston on of where you just kind of sit down and you just let us take the wheel and cook for you. Um, and then this vegetarian menu that's rolling out right now, it's it's just a short menu of things that we have in-house that you know we can kind of put together. But I just wanted to create some composed dishes for those guests that are vegan or vegetarian just to have that option because you don't want to be the one person in your group before and be like, I'm vegetarian today or vegetarian for the time being and I don't want to do these things and I feel self-conscious about ordering like, oh, you're a vegetarian? Here's your own menu. Order off it. You don't have to feel weird or awkward ordering. So, Right. You don't have to worry that there's going to be, you know, fish sauce or gelatin or or any of those ingredients that are like not okay. Yeah. And it's not just the, uh, here's the salad without the steak on it. You know, right. it's actually an actual dish that I enjoy eating legitimately on its own. It's not like a minus dish. It is its own complete thing. Right. I mean, 
arguably the most famous, the signature dish of the restaurant is the crispy rice salad, yeah. which is vegetarian already. Yeah, it's it's vegan, vegetarian, and I never really thought that our signature dish would be a salad, but here we are. But I mean, it's it's you know it's but it checks a lot of boxes. I mean, it's it's crunchy, it's fresh, it's bright. I mean, it just it's it's refreshing. It's hot outside here. It just it's such a no brainer. I mean, but that's the you know I'm sure that you have like you want to be creative and you want to add things and take things off, but like you can't take that off. I, there's no plans on taking that off. That's actually that dish was kind of engineered for the hot Houston summer because when I first moved here, everyone said. Summer here is very hot. And I said, okay. And then they would repeat, no, no, it's really hot here in the summer. I was like, oh, okay. It's, it's serious business here. I'll, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. So, Well, right. Like on the East Coast, it gets hot, but then it, then it cools down again or it's cooler at night. Yeah. And it's like, no, no. If you walk outside of the air conditioning here, you're going to get the warm, wet hug of the Houston humidity, whether it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's. It's just all reality in the it's different on the East Coast. I don't I don't know how to explain it. Like it gets hot in New York, but not like not like it gets hot here. Yeah, for sure. You've for adjusted. Sure. You're you're okay. Yeah, I think I've adjusted pretty well. Um, you know, just got the air conditioning fixed in my car, so I didn't realize how big of a deal that would be until I lost it. But yeah, and then you're it was like, a big deal, right? You're driving around with the windows open, like this is not better. <laughs> There's no relief here. Yeah. Um. Let me let me just shift gears a little bit because, you know, you kind of, you kind of came here and maybe people didn't didn't know you or, or or you know or if they knew anything about you they knew you worked in New York. Uh, you have become a more prominent presence on Underbelly, UB Preserve social media. <laughs> you're 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 interacting with the media a little bit more. Um, I mean, you're doing the show. What's that been like for you as, as you're kind of being marketed now as, as a personality? Um, it's definitely new. It's never something I had ever thought about. I think, you know, anybody that gets in the cooking industry, they're, they're not doing it for social media, whatever. They just, it's just a passion for food and for taking care of people. Um, but I'm realizing more and more that, you know, my, you know, just like when you move from line cook to sous chef to chef, your responsibilities change, the scope of your, you know, all of your duties kind of change. And now this is a part of my job, as weird as it is to, to say, you know, I have to take care of ordering produce, cooking food, mentoring staff, and also making sure that UB Preserve stays relevant in social media and whatever needs to happen. And, you know, and if that means putting on a crawfish costume and getting and showing up on an Instagram story, then I mean, that's more for me than anybody else. <laughs> I just saw that crawfish costume and I just had to go for it. It spoke to me, but, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's a good outlet for, you know, my personality as well, just to like, let people know, like, you know, this restaurant is as much who I am because I moved here to do this. So like, it's weird, it's quirky, it's funny, but, you know, don't feel intimidated by it. I don't want, that's why I do all this stupid stuff on the social media. It's like, look at this idiot in a crawfish outfit or, you know, wearing all this makeup or doing whatever. It's just, I want to disarm people so that they can have a good time. Yeah, maybe, and maybe it's just because I know both of you, but I don't really think you look like Justin Yu. Uh, I guess that point is up for debate. I'm I'm on your side on this one. <laughs> um I feel I think Justin feels the same way as well. 
Yeah. But but have you been? You'll you'll be like at the farmers market or something. Someone will come up and be like, "Hey, Justin, does this does this happen?" Um, actually, this happened the very first day I moved to Houston. Um, I after I accepted the job, I drove from San Francisco to Houston, and I got into Houston. I want to say at around like three in the afternoon. And the first thing I did was I went with Chris to the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards in 2018. Was that 2000? Yeah, 2018. Yeah, right. Last year. Um, we go to the awards, and I legitimately don't know anyone. I've been in town for maybe five hours. We go to Goodnight Charlie's afterwards for a few drinks, and this table waves me over, and I don't know any of these people. I'm like, oh, Southern Hospitality. I'm, I'm going to try and make an effort here to be friendly to strangers because this is not something I'm used to doing. You know, being from New York, you normally just like got the headphones in, don't talk to me, no make eye contact. So I go sit at this table. We're talking for like 10 minutes, this group of people. And then all of a sudden, one of the ladies at the table says, oh, we love going to your restaurant. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, maybe they were just in New York while I was at some and they had a good meal. I'm, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And then I'm like, oh, that's really nice. When did you go? It's like, oh, you know, we just went a few weeks ago, but we also love Better Luck Tomorrow and we love all of your places. And I just had to look her straight in the eye and say, I'm not Justin you. I'm sorry. And they just kind of, everybody clammed up really awkwardly and I kind of like walked away from the table. And Chris thought I was like, oh, he's making friends. This is great. It's his first day. He's only been here for a few hours. He's really settling in. And I told him what happened. He's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, I mean, if nothing else, you you beat you beat Justin as a guest on the show. He still he still won't schedule with me. So he's like, no, no, soon. I'm I'm busy, but soon, soon. It's like, all right. I mean, so we, the same thing you said to me in New York. Everybody thought I was David Chang as well, but yeah, you don't you don't look like David Chang either. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, I I met David. I, I met David Chang when he came to Southern Smoke. I met David Chang one time when I was in New York. You don't you don't look like David Chang. Yeah. Uh, you've worked for three very prominent chefs, three James Beard Award winners, you know, food and wine, best new chefs, all of that. I mean, do you aspire to that kind of, do you want that kind of recognition? Is that something you aspire to? I think at this point in the game, it's kind of a lie to say that the thought doesn't cross your mind. Um, it's not the main reason I cook or do any of the things, but, you know, I think if anybody's cooking with that goal in mind specifically, you're probably going to fail because it's, not super genuine i just want to do the things that i want to do and if i get recognized for it that's great and if i don't that's still great just so long as we keep the doors open that's really all i care about just so long as our business is solvent and i can keep doing what i'm doing that's that's the most important thing to me and i can take care of the people around me all right so you've been so ub preserve has been open for a little over a year as you kind of head into that year and a half two year mark like what are some of your goals like how would you like to see the restaurant continue to evolve I'm actually very excited for the second year that we've been open because now I've gone through a full year of seasons. I can see the produce that's coming in. I can be a little bit more ready. Last year's I got kind of bum rushed. We opened and all of a sudden I got all this produce. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. Um, I can start to plan it out a little bit better. Um, one of the biggest things I'm really trying to work on currently is just trying to get my cooks and my sous chef, um, Aiden, um, to get more input on our menu, just like Old Underbelly, but not so fast and furious, I guess. Not 
different menu every day, but I want them to really flex their creative muscles to find out what works for them and what they're comfortable with in terms of their flavor profiles or things they even want to try. I want them to experiment, you know, this is not your, you know, your restaurant, but it, it's, it's your restaurant for the time being. So use us as a way to kind of develop your own voice. And then so that way when you leave here, you'll be that much stronger. You'll have that kind of foundation of, you know, where you want to come from. Um, and other stuff for the restaurant in, in general terms, um, our brunch service has been kind of a thing that's been building. And I like to see that fleshed out a little bit more and just being more comfortable with throwing big parties. I really enjoyed having our crawfish boil for our year anniversary. Like that was a fun time for everyone. You know, it was very low stress and I want to keep kind of that kind of vibe for anytime we do any like one-off ticketed dinners or things like that. Right. You had your drag brunch uh, recently for pride. Yep. So, all right. Well, I always ask, I always wrap these up with something I call the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Nick Wong, what is your favorite cookbook? On Food and Cooking by Harold McGee. All right. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Ooh, slightly embarrassing. Um, I think it's probably going to have to be Phil Collins when I was maybe about five years old with my parents. No, he's secretly beloved in Texas because he's, Alam- he's a huge collector of Alamo memorabilia. Really? Yes. Random you can, you trivia can, fact. You can Google this. You can Google this later. I'm I'm not making that up. So no, Texas loves Phil Collins. Uh, what is your uh, What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through. Jack in a box tacos with buttermilk ranch sauce. Very nice. Not the hot sauce. Not the salsa. You dip the taco in the ranch sauce. All right. I use, I ask people who their favorite Houston sports figure is. Have you been here long enough to to develop one? I'm not really too into sports. I don't really follow. Um, Did you have a favorite Golden Bear when you were? Uh... I mean, I guess my favorite Golden Bear at this point is ha- he has to be Aaron Rodgers. He was my quarterback when I was there. So I guess for that sheer fact, yeah. yeah that's a respectable answer. And then finally, <laughs> when you go to a pizza restaurant for the first time, what is your go-to pizza order? Just pepperoni, sausage, mushroom. All right. Nick Wong, give us your give us your Instagram and give us the website for UB Preserve and, and how people can follow what you're doing. Uh, the website for UB Preserve is UB Preserve, no E on the end. Yes, it's spelled wrong. P-R-E-S-E-R-V dot com. Um, my Instagram handle is underscore Nick Wong underscore, all one word. Um, I think that's it for contact stuff. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your occasional reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. I welcome your comments and reviews, but like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Um, you know, I had it and I lost it and it was good and I feel bad about it.
Is it a question for just and you? No, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, okay. What was it? 